is episode 373 for June 2015. And if you're a fan of this podcast and would like to ensure that more come out in the future, I'd appreciate your support. Log on to our front page at SpidermanCrawlspace.com. Look on the right-hand side for a button that says support this site via PayPal. You can help us pay the bills and the bandwidth cost. And I just paid a big one in June that will support us for another three months. So log on and help us recoup those costs. All right, gang, on with the show. Okay, time for Spider History. JR, we're going back to June of 1990. And uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 333 came out. Uh, this one is called uh, Venom's Back and written by David Michelinie and pencils by Eric Larson. What happened in 333, JR? I forgot how to do spider history. I know it's been a while, hasn't it? How, how do I do, how do I do it? I don't know. Oh, I know what. I'll just make shit up. Oh like, yeah, that's what the fan because the fans demand uh, you, uh, you make shit up. Yes. Oh, what happened here? Did you did you go through the uh, author and the artist and everything like you used? Yeah, I I did. Ooh, I did. see see now, old man. <laughs> I don't do I not remember but I didn't hear it. Um, oh, what happens here? Oh, hey, you know, famous uh, I tell you what, you know, this is uh, one reason I picked this was because it was um uh early 90s and I ha- I don't recall doing a whole lot of early 90s and now I know why. Uh, <laughs> uh I mean, I I was reading my notes and it's like, god, how do I make this sound interesting? But anyway, the 90s stuck so hard. Oh, but it really did. I haven't read this one in 25 years. Well, uh, and 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 uh, I'll spare you from having to do it uh, anytime soon. <laughs> but really, this I think this is. I, I was never a big fan of Venom for various. This is where it ended, pretty much. Ah, right? uh, this is where you start to see the rot set in. I mean, yeah. the character kind of, I mean, the, like I said, I understand now why people like the character, or at least the original version of the character, and why he, he can be considered one of Spider-Man's big three next to Ock and Norman because of, you know, for various reasons. I mean, like I said, he's just, Ock and Norman are, you know, control freak intellects, and whereas, like I said, Venom is just the master of disaster, you know? Um, and he's kind of fun in a way. But anyway... So he goes off, starts going off the rails. But anyway, this story here, issue three, it, it's really the second part of a two-part story. It began, you know, obviously, in 332. Um, but um, so what happens here, what happens in this story is uh, sticks and stone. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> 90s villains were just so awesome, weren't they? Didn't they just have such great like names? Me, you didn't like uh, Annex? You didn't like Chance? <laughs> Oh, by the way, well, we've got a cut. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was funny. Yeah, Annex. Yeah, why don't we have a villain called Outhouse or Barn? You know, I mean, gee, <laughs> but but it's funny you talk. They don't take any shit. <laughs> you, you talk about bad villain names or whatever. We got another couple coming up in uh, courtesy of Jerry Conway uh, in a later story here. But anyway, yeah, you know so, what? Can I can I just say something real quick? Sure. One nineties villain that I did like was Cardiac. Yeah, cardiac was at least okay. interesting. Okay. The FOA managed healthcare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I, I do, but I just see I didn't understand cardiac because he was against he he was he didn't like the healthcare system and it was always because people were like putting crap drugs on the market and it's like and it's like I was trying to explain one time that's not the problem with the healthcare system. You know, the problem with the healthcare system is the insurance industry and lobby. You know, it's, you know, you would need super accountants, you know, to bring those guys down. So I just well, thought cardiac was a totally misdirected. I wasn't, anyway, looking, I wasn't looking at him, or I don't enjoy him from a political standpoint, but I, I enjoy him just from a uh, almost an anti hero aspect, the same, way, the same way I like Puma, or, uh, you know, who I know that you hate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just I, I well I don't know I I mean I thought if you wanted to make a statement against the healthcare system that it was like you were looking in the wrong direction if the way cardiac was but that's that's another issue I guess um, anyway three thirty yeah see let's talk about something else besides these shit issues that we're going to talk about now. <laughs> Much how we're starting at five minutes in. Yeah, yeah. Venom, Venom escapes from it anyway. In three thirty two, Venom we find out has escaped from a government facility. Uh, and he's going to go kill Spider-Man. Spider-Man, who, of course, is in a park, you know, hanging out with Jay Leno, of course, uh, and Malcolm Forbes, 
stick runs across sticks and stone who are being hired by Jonathan Caesar to take out Spider-Man because as you remember, Jonathan Caesar is obsessed with Mary Jane. And yep. he hired Sticks and Stone earlier to take out Spider-Man and uh or and and you know, obviously they failed and so now he's trying it again. Uh you know, so Re- refresh me with the Jonathan Caesar. Why is he going after Spider Man? Well, he was obsessed with Mary Jane, right? But he doesn't connect the two. No, 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 he doesn't. Yeah. No, he doesn't. I mean, he. I guess I think it was because he saw her on. T- you know, he saw her on TV and you know yeah. in her soap opera, and he just became obsessed with her, and he kidnapped her and was going to make her live with him. And Spider Man tried to rescue her. Uh, he didn't okay. succeed. I think Mary Jane escaped herself. But you know, anyway, the fact that Spider Man, you know created some issues, Caesar, so Caesar sending out sticks okay. of stone against him again. Got it. Blah, blah, blah. So, anyway. I'd forgotten the Spider-Man-Caesar connection. I was associated him with Mary Jane, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So. He got him thrown out of their apartment, because they were living, you know, Mary Jane, because she was, oh, she was a rich model at first. Okay, it was before she got on her soap opera. She was a rich supermodel. He became obsessed with her, but then, obviously, she had nothing to do with him. So he got him thrown out of their condo. Uh, three fourteen during Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and that's kind of so that's and that's why they have no money. So anyway, um, Venom uh, basically uh, is is back, and uh, he shows up on Aunt May's doorstep, and Aunt May, you know, sends him to um, oh Sheep Meadow. He, <laughs> no, no, he comes looking for Peter, and uh, so Aunt May says, "Oh, he's a photographer, so he's probably. I think he's at Sheep Meadow in Central Park." Then Aunt May calls Peter and says, uh, "Oh, I thought that would be the. I sent him there because I thought that would be the best place it has for the police to catch him because it's got wide open spaces." Okay, way to go, Aunt May. Uh, always the elect. And <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, Nathan, Nathan's, you know, Nathan's not giving her any action anymore. So, oh, but anyway, so so Venom and Spider Man fight in Central Park, and then during their fights, uh, a, a baby falls off a bridge into the water and looks is about to drown, and Ven- and Venom s- saves her because she's innocent. Innocence is precious. It should be cherished, protected always. I was innocent once. There, there the you beginning. Go. There you the go. beginning. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so that happens, and sticks and stone, or you know, sticks and stone figure that they can't follow Spider-Man because he always knows that they're coming, so they follow Venom. Uh, figuring he'll lead him to Spider-Man. Well, they 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 blow it this time, and but they threaten to get him. Next time, which is now issue number 333. So, anyway, well, now that, uh, you know, uh, Peter's out at Aunt May's house, and uh, Brock decides to sneak through the bedroom window and confront Spider, uh, confront Peter, and, you know, here we go again. Peter says, look, I'm tired of these threats against Aunt May, if you so much as touch her. And Eddie says, oh, she's innocent. I would never harm her. You have my word. And Peter's going, Brock is nuts, but he has a strong, if twisted, sense of honor. No, he's a psychopath and a murderer. The thing is, though, this is the same guy that created him who's writing him like this. And it, it, so it's like, you know, so he, anyway, so Peter, one of the reasons I never liked Venom was because rather than Peter manning up and taking him on, he's always chickening out and running away. So like now he wants to he buy he buy, he wants to buy tickets to Aruba to take Mary Jane to Aruba and hide from Venom, uh, <laughs> you know. And Mary Jane says, "You dumbass! Don't you remember what happened to Nally Holloway? I'm not stepping foot on that island." Uh, <laughs> Which is you know. weird because this was years before the Natalie Natalie Holloway thing actually happened. Oh, oh, it is. He was making a joke. No, I was making shit up. He was making shit up. <laughs> nice. Oh, but but anyway, so but that, but that again, you know, you can just kind of see where where Venom is 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 going wrong already. Uh, but yeah, that was another thing I didn't like about him is because Peter always ran away from him. He never he never ran away from Norman Osborn, you know. Uh, but he always ran away from Venom, and I I never got that. But anyway. Uh, so Peter doesn't know what to do now, you know. So he goes looking for advice on how to handle this situation. And since 
nobody else knows he's Spider-Man. I don't know who he's going to ask for advice, but he decides to go see Flash, who's now working with underprivileged kids. Well, Flash is also seeing Felicia Hardy because, as you know, Felicia was going to get revenge on Peter for breaking up with her by dating Flash and then breaking up with him. Okay, yep. that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, but then she started falling in love with Flash. But she didn't want Flash to know that she was the black cat because, you know, but, the, but it turns out that Flash already knew because, oh, wait a minute, Felicia and the black cat are public figures and they were, you know, she was known to be the black cat. Oh, wait a minute, no, that can't be true either because the black cat's identity was secret because that's what Superior Spider-Man did when he arrested her is he blew her cover and therefore that's what made her so bad. Uh, yeah, and my head hurts. Anyway, <laughs> so Peter asks Peter asks Flash, "Hey, Flash, why are you working with underprivileged kids?" Flash says, "Well, because they need a role model. Because I was a bully because I didn't get enough guidance. You know, it's no, it wasn't. I was a bully because I was a jock, a punk, a dickhead, and an asswipe. It's because <laughs> I had no." Guidance. (laughs) Flash then says, but I found a role model in Spider-Man because Spidey showed me that doing right was what counted, even if it hurt. Sometimes it isn't easy. Problems seem bigger in life, but I always keep trying. (laughs) And I'm not making this up because I know Spidey wouldn't give up just because the going got tough. And then... Uh, and now see, this is the time I really wish I was making shit up. And <laughs> but Peter buys this dime store psychology uh, and decides he's going to fight Venom. But but I will say this: I think this I think this is a good reason. I think this illustrates perfectly why Flash never figured out that Peter was Spider Man, even though everybody else should have, because the truth is always staring him in the face. But it, it makes sense why Flash could never figure it out because he had an entirely different image of the type of man Spider-Man had to be. You know, to him, Spider-Man was a big brother figure, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Peter Parker yeah. just in no way was like that to him. I mean, just no way like that. But, you know, so he had a vision of who Spider-Man had to be. And, and right. therefore, he, he couldn't make the connection. You know, and then in a, in a way, kind of like why Jonah, even though you always figured Jonah was smart enough to figure it out, you know, but Jonah couldn't make it because Jonah had such a loathing for Spider-Man for various reasons. He never wanted to think that Spider-Man was somebody he actually cared about. You know, I'm trying to think after Civil War, what was Flash's reaction to finding out Peter was Spider-Man? Well, first of all, he said, no friggin' way. Yeah. And then, and then when he found out, it was kind of like almost quiet acceptance. It was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I guess, it, it was uh, something that it was. Well, it was a story Peter David wrote, which I guess is why it made sense. I think uh, Flash, it was more like a this makes you know it's just a revelation, and it was like, well, this actually adds up. Yeah. Okay. But it was it was kind of like Peter did something as Spider Man or whatever, something heroic, and and Flash goes, well, I, I guess it really is the truth, huh? <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, he accepted it, you know, but it was just, you know, it was something that just kind of like, huh, you know, I, wow, <laughs> never saw that coming. <laughs> right. But, uh, anyway, so, so anyway, we go back to uh, Sticks and Stone. Um, so they, uh, let's see here again. Oh, that's right. They figure out, like I said, they figure out they can't follow Spider-Man around because he always knows when someone is following him. Oh, wait, that can't be true either. Because during Civil War, when Tony Stark says something about Peter's spider sense, Spider thinks, huh, how does Tony know about my spider sense? I never told anyone but Aunt May and Mary Jane about it. So (laughs) even though Sticks and Stone Stone doesn't say, well, he has a spider sense, they know that Spider-Man intuitively knows that people can follow him. Plus, Spider-Man always talks about his spider sense. Ha uh-huh, don't you know you can't sneak up on a guy with spider sense? You know, but that occurs to everybody but J. Michael Straczynski. <sighs> anyway, so everybody... Some of, some of his villains even know about it and, and find countermeasures. Exactly, like you know, like Norman Osborn, way yeah. back in issue number 39. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, uh, like uh, Roderick Kingsley. Yeah, exactly. But, hmm. uh, you know, again... Uh, 
you know. So everybody meets at the abandoned subway tunnel because that's where Venom, when Venom snuck into AMA's house, you know, Venom says, okay, you know, meet me in an abandoned subway tunnel in 24 hours and we'll have our big man to man throwdown. Well, anyway, so everybody meets at the abandoned subway tunnel. Stone has a big sonic gun, which during the fight happens to hit Venom and begins to hurt him. Now, Spider-Man doesn't say, whoa, kind of how lucky for me that a guy with a big honking sonic gun just happened to come here and take out Venom. Oh, no, Spidey says, blast it all. Beneath that costume, Eddie Brock is just a screwed-up human being. No, he's a psychopath and a murderer. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Uh, Anyway, so... Anyway, Styx winds up touching Venom. Now, I, 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 I missed it. He, he touches him, and, and Venom shrivels up. Uh, oh, I forgot God. to explain Styx and Stone's power. Styx, Styx is basically walking cancer because he was experimented on. So he has, you know, he, he kind of has the carrion death touch, you know. So not only do we make up villains with dumb names, but we give them powers we rip off from somebody else. And Stone was kind of the muscle. Well, anyway, Styx winds up touching venom and it appears to kill the symbiote everybody goes to jail spider-man says it's hard to believe that at last the menace of venom is over the end no spider-man it's not hard to believe that at last the, the the menace of venom is over it's hard to believe that at this time in 1990 we still have at least another five to six years of this kind of mediocre storytelling to go not a David Michelinie fan, sounds like. Never was. I thought really. No, I thought his. I mean, he to me, he was part of what the nineties was. And maybe it wasn't his fault, really. When you think about, it. I mean, he was writing. Marvel probably wanted to be more like Image because Image was the thing. So, because but to me, Michelinie's run was all these big groups, you know, with big guns and stuff and uh, you know well like the annex type villains i mean it was always somebody with a big ass armor and they had a big ass gun and a lot of pockets <laughs> it, it, it was just the same you saw them whether they were called the jury or whether they were called where were they you know the there, yeah. uh, there were a, uh, there were a bunch of them um, yeah. and they were all the same and and a lot of that was during michelinie michelinie and then michelinie like i said he created venom but then he ruined venom and I think this is the issue that ruined him. This is where it starts. This, I mean, this this really turned him from just an evil, evil. Uh, the the I, I always liked the term that you used back in the day. Uh, irris- power with no responsibility exactly. is what Venom is the best. This analogy. is this is the beginning of the period that made me flat out, full on, straight up hate the character. Yeah. Did you like him in three hundred? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's universally loved. I think. I mean, in number thirty three thirty three is, is the first "we want to eat your brain" thing. Yeah, and that's yeah, that, you know that's when he becomes starts becoming a joke. Yeah, and um, let's let's talk about the art a little bit. Do you like Larson? Not really, not really. To me, he was always McFarland light, but yeah. there's some I don't know. There, there's a there's like a, a Mary Jane thing. It's kind of hard to describe. It's when she and Peter are eating dinner in front of a, a photo backdrop of Paris, and she just looks strange. He <laughs> just, was always confused about Mary Jane and thought she was Medusa from the Inhumans. Yeah, yeah, she had big hair. Her hair she, was yeah. ginormous. Yeah. yeah, I liked Larson. I don't know. I like I, I like Larson. I do too. Um, I, just, I mean, I just his Mary Jane was the weakest of his stuff, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Also this month, uh, Web of Spider-Man number 65 came out. That is called uh, The Acts of Vengeance Aftermath, written by Jerry Conway and pencils by Alex Savick. Take me through this one. Jerry Conway, the writer with a conscience. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he doesn't get political in either of these two stories we're going to be talking about. But anyway, Web of 60, Spider-Man 65. Uh, which is actually a continuation, I think, of Web of Spider-Man 64. Acts of Vengeance epilogue. Oh, hey, great. You know, because the original Acts of Vengeance was so great, we had to have an epilogue. Um, Issues number 64 begins with the Brothers Grimm, Titania, and the Trapster all heading off to jail because cosmically powered Spider-Man kicked their ass during Acts of Vengeance. Well, Graviton, a guy you know by his name, has the power to affect... Gravity. Gravity, as seen in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. 
or soon to be seen in the he, no agency. no he was the uh, he was like in there he was like in it early on like was one oh yeah he was, he was the like first, the first he, guy if they came up against uh, well he up. he's also in that bubble isn't he I don't isn't know I don't well, I never I don't watch agency oh. oh, George what's that bubble that that uh, at the end of the series oh oh no that's uh that's Inhumans related. Oh, I thought that the was big, that, I thought that was Graviton block. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, that no, thing. that's 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 Inhumans related. Well, they they stored Graviton in the bunker. I thought after that episode, didn't they? Yeah, they they had imprisoned him somehow. I I think like yeah. I, anyway. We're we're going off. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's your, your fault, Brad. Uh, <laughs> now listen here. <laughs> well, it, it turns out Go that ahead. Graviton busted all those losers out of the prison van at the behest of the Chameleon. Who has also hired Goliath, or as I call him, White Giant Man, uh, who's not Hank Pym, the white. And the reason I call him, oh boy, that joke went over bad. Um, <laughs> back, this was there in another Spider history. I'll explain this one because otherwise I'll be thought of as being a racist. And since uh, since George is already Hitler, and then Mike doesn't want a black Superman, so he's got to be Mussolini. So I guess that makes me Hirohito. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Years ago, when we did a when we did a, um, uh, a spider history with uh, when Bill Foster, uh, who was Black Goliath uh, at the time, because we had to distinguish the fact that he was a black superhero by calling him black, as if you couldn't <laughs> tell. But anyway, but when Spider Man first sees him, he goes, "Are you Black Giant Man?" So anyway, oh, that's man. that's where my yeah, failed White Giant Man joke comes up. Anyway, this yeah. this Goliath is not Hank Pym, the wife beating bad guy but a regular bad guy. But we'll talk more about wife beaters next month when we reconvene for another spider history. Uh, because since, nice, t- nice tease. Yeah, because, nice. But since that'll be the July episode, it'll be another 30 days before we record that one. Uh, or, or 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Chameleon has been making a play to be, guess what, crime lord of all New York. Uh, Graviton makes a daily bugle billing fly in the air to lure Spider-Man into a trap. They all get in a big fight, and at the end, Graviton changes Spidey's gravity so that he floats up in the air and he can't come down. To be continued, um, the w- one significant part of this issue, though, is there's a panel where the Harry Osborn, Harry Osborn flies by as the Green Goblin. Kind of a hint of things to come. Yeah. So. For, uh, for anyone who's hearing this and is uh, remotely interested, Brad and I, Covered this fight uh, yeah. on uh, Fight Club back in uh, March 2014, so I, a little over a year ago now, uh, on podcast 288. Yeah, it's a fun one. I mean, it is a very interesting fight. Uh, well, what well, we covered the fight mainly that happened uh, uh, in the in the uh, I think it's in issue 65. Uh, you know, Jr. We were talking about how we're out of out of. Uh practice doing these things i didn't ask for a grade for amazing 333 what would you give that for a grade well see i i you know i yeah i i didn't mind you not asking because i i never yeah. i never really like giving the spider history ones grades because they're all mm-hmm. i think we're i'm looking at it from a different perspective uh mm. than i am as opposed to you just read it in 1990 yeah. Uh, yeah i mean and and you know as opposed to like looking at the newer stuff I mean, obviously, you, you can tell I'm not really going to like any of these issues. They're all going to be like C's or something. I mean, it's mm-hmm. this is a very mediocre time. So, yeah. um, but anyway, I'd, I'd probably give it a C minus or a D plus or something. Okay. Like I said, it's the ruination of Venom. Really. Can I? Uh, can I? Can I? Can I just read a brief bit on what Spider Fan had on this issue? Sure. In general, they say, "Wow, this issue delivers it all: drama <laughs> in spades, peril." Characterization, particularly with an interesting backstory for a Z-listing villain, and action, action, action. From the opening shot of Venom watching Parker through the window to the last shot of the dead black costume, the story had me gripped. Five out of five. I think he Matthew was gripping something yes. else besides the story. <laughs> well, no, I, I, the only reason I bring this to up. To each their own. Yeah, man. the only reason I bring this up is because I, I think some of this is a generational thing. I don't, Matt, I don't know Matthew Spencer. I'm guessing he's probably not in his 40s like we are. Um, <laughs> or, or 50s. <laughs> or, or 50s, yeah, in JR's case. Uh, so, and I think like someone like Zach, uh, if Zach were, to, were here to talk about it, Zach would probably look at it more favorably than we do. So I think, so I, Zach's I think there's a, a diaper right now. So. Yeah, he's dealing with his own uh, symbiote. <laughs> or his clone. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. We we did web. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't get to issue sixty-five because we just that was just the warm-up to issue sixty. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought you. Go yeah, ahead, I know. Go ahead. I know. Anyway, to be continued. Uh, anyway, the bad guys think they killed Spider-Man. Okay, um, but Spider-Man, see, he floats up in the air with the greatest of ease, but then he latches onto a jet that's going down into the JFK airport, and Graviton's gravity-altering thingy wears off, so he's normal again. Anyway, the bad guys think they all killed Spider-Man, so they go to the chameleon to collect their money, but he's <laughs> gone, and they find out that they, re- they there's a note left behind, supposedly, from the Kingpin that says, Kingpin and Chameleon set up this little fraud of getting him together to kill Spider-Man and then stiffing them out of their money. And, of course, they believe it. You know, like, <laughs> which shows how stupid they are. I guess, well, these truly are not the superior foes of Spider-Man. Anyway, it, so now it, now they go to go after the Kingpin to collect their money that they thought was, anyway, because they think he and the Chameleon are working together. Uh, so they go out to the Kingpin, Spider-Man shows up and defeats him. Subplot, uh, Mary Jane finds one of Harry's Green Goblin costumes just hanging in a closet like it were a spare suit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, she's, she's babysitting little Norman as Liz and Harry go out. Little, Mar- little Norman starts wandering away, you know, and Mary Jane says, hey, come back here, you little scallywag or rump scallion or whatever. Yeah, I think know, she calls him a little bastard. <laughs> no, he knows his mama and his daddy, and uh, and uh, so anyway, she opens it. Oh, there's a green goblin costume. It's like, okay, yeah, I can see where Harry's not going to be very good at this super villain thing. Um, also, during this time, Thomas Fireheart, also known as Puma, who learned that Peter Parker was Spider-Man because he can smell him, just like Craven, Sabretooth, and Wolverine. They all can smell Spider-Man, probably because of his aftershave, I guess. He's bought, the, he's bought the Daily Bugle, and to repay a debt of honor that he thinks he owes, he runs stories about what a great guy Spider-Man is. So Jonah leaves the Bugle and starts something called the Jameson News Digest. That's all happening, too, because the story ends with Spider-Man on the cover of the Jameson News Digest. <sighs> the end. Isn't this an exciting time in Spider-Man? <laughs> it had some lost potential because... Because they they never really deal with what happened with Chameleon and Kingpin afterward. Like Kingpin couldn't have been happy that Chameleon, you know, had you know arranged for all these bad guys to come after him because it, you know Kingpin had to had to want some sort of comeuppance at some point. Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to think. I think I'm trying to think of how long Conway lasted after this. I think maybe another twelve months. But yeah. so I don't know if he had if he'd had any plans to follow it up or not. But I, I think you can tell that Conway's heart was not in any of this. I mean, I it, it just it's totally lacking in any kind of that frantic. I mean, passion or or whatever that he wrote amazing when he was younger. N- not, it's all none of it's there for his later spectacular and web runs. I mean, he's literally just going through the motions. It's like the uh, the young idealist was defeated by the uh, by the. <laughs> By the aged realist. <laughs> well, he said he couldn't. I think he said he just felt too old. He couldn't relate to the character anymore. And <laughs> that's such bullshit. Also, also, spectacular Spider-Man number one sixty-five, also written by Jerry Conway, came out this month, and uh, penciled by our pal Sal Buscema. Uh This one's called uh, the Ark, the British Death, and it has night and fog. I do not remember this book at all. Well, I was about I to say, I was. I remember when I told you we well, were going to have another great pair after Sticks and Stone. Mm-hmm. Well, here's another yeah. great pair, night and fog. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the, the issues, anyway, this, start, this is, starts out in issue 164 with the Beetle. Okay, fresh out of jail, being contacted by the Arranger who's the kingpin second in command, the Arranger wants him to kill Spider-Man. Now, I don't think the Arranger is related to that character that Howard Mackey created during the 99 reboot called the Ranger, but I can see the confusion since they have the same last six letters in their names. Wow. Um, anyway, the Beatles says, oh, no, 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 I don't, do, I don't fight superheroes anymore. I just do straight crime. Straight crime. Okay. Not uh, to, like gay crime. Is it like is that like an oxymoron or something? I only do straight crime, you know. But anyway, the beetle wasn't always the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, so the arranger says, "Oh, I have a straight crime for you." 
<laughs> Here's a diamond shipment. Go steal the diamonds. Well, then the arranger calls the Daily Bugle, wants to speak to Peter Parker, because this is all a ruse to get Peter Parker to contact his quote-unquote friend, Spider-Man, and tell him about the diamond shipment the Beatles going to go after, because the arranger wants to kill Spider-Man. And since the Beatle refused, the arranger sets the Beatle up and forces a fight with Spider-Man, hoping that the Beatle kills him that way. Doesn't work. Anyway, mm. issue number 165 where we actually start out in jolly old England. And we meet a couple of assassins called Knight, who dresses up like a knight and has a big sword. <laughs> Whatever. And Fog. <laughs> Fog, who turns into Fog. Fog. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> seems they're being contracted by someone in New York. Turns out the arranger is on the outs with the kingpin for screwing up during the gang war, which happened earlier with the Lobo brothers. So he hired Knight and Fogg to eliminate... Oh, wait a minute, let's see here. Turns out... Oh, okay. The kingpin hired Knight and Fogg to eliminate the arranger, which they do. But when Spider-Man comes after them, they get away. And then Spider-Man, who's just kind of loitering around, overhears that the kingpin hired them to go after the arranger and that they went back to London. So, Spider-Man decides to go to London. <laughs> Leaving his poor wife all alone. And to be continued, and frankly, I didn't give enough of a rat's ass about this story to see how it ended. Anyway, we have another idiotic yeah. subplot. Where I, oh, we do, okay. An idiotic Robbie subplot, because remember, the previous idiotic Robbie subplot was Robbie, because Tombstone threatened him, basically, when he was a young man, didn't turn Tombstone in for a murder. So, 20 years later, Robbie decides, you know, I can't keep silent. I've got to turn Tombstone in. Well, he figures that it's so bad he has to commit a crime. And then he, or not, no, that he did commit a crime. And then he, th then he's, pre he, he, then like he goes to court and, the, you know, the cops file charges against him and he goes to jail for this. And it's like, no, that makes no sense at all. That's stupid. Anyway, <laughs> so here's our, our second idiotic Robbie subplot. Well, Peter was goofing around with Mary Jane or whatever, and he was dressed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> goofing around, Mary Jane. He was dressed as Spider <laughs> he was dressed as Spider Man. He took his mask off. I, I, I forget because I didn't have the story in front of me, but Nick Katzenberg, the Sleazo competitor report of uh, photographer, uh, took a picture. So, you know, of Peter as Spider Man. Well, in order to protect his secret identity, of course, Peter says, oh, no, I was faking an faking being Spider-Man because I was doing an advertising photo shoot. Well, Robbie gets mad and says, oh, since you faked this advertising photo shoot, you have no ethics, uh, and <laughs> therefore you're fired. Um, Again. What? What? You know, what? And so, anyway, it goes back to his encounters with Tombstone, which never made any sense anyway. I, I, I. So anyway, <laughs> if I remember, doesn't Mary Jane kiss somebody in this for Jason Jerome? Yeah, wasn't that his her soap opera partner? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in a movie together, soap opera together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> at all. What gave you? What gave you that idea? Every damn well, sentence. she eventually uh, took a baseball bat to the guy. Yeah, it's like he was a chameleon because he couldn't uh, he couldn't leave it alone. <laughs> True. All right, we've got uh, he guest starred pretty significantly in Avengers this month. Uh, Avengers number three eighteen, written by Fabian Nicieza. Is that how you say it? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, that's that's and penciled by Paul Ryan, who had a great run on Fantastic Four. I thought in the nineties. So, uh, Spider-Man's in space, which, that doesn't always work out sometimes. No, no, it doesn't. This isn't too bad for what it is. It's, the thing is, yeah. though, it's like this whoa, is Whoa, 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 whoa. That's high praise from you. Well, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, you know, you just gotta, you know, loosen up on the standards and, uh, you know, just... He's he's been in the book since uh, three fourteen, so this is like his fourth book in a row. Well, this, this was a five part story. Yeah, yeah, this is a five part story. Anyway, so 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 to bring Spidey fans up on what's happening, uh, John Jameson is actually a pilot for Captain America. Captain America has a private Quinjet, and John Jameson is his pilot. And I guess God is his co-pilot. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, Cersei the Eternal has been hanging around the Avengers so she can get into Captain America's pants. <laughs> and the Vision is a white dude. So, you know, basically, you know, it's racist. I mean, you know, the Vision was changed from a red and green dude to a white dude. And he's literally white. He is totally <laughs> white. Yeah. I have no idea why. Anyway. It, it's, it, it happened uh, in, over in uh, Avengers West Coast. Some bad shit went down. So why didn't he become black then? Because it's racist. I mean, because the, the world, everybody was demanding a black vision. You he know, got, I mean, no one was demanding that. <laughs> <laughs> but they're demanding that. Oh boy, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to get started. Anyway, drop drop the mic yeah. and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> walk away. Nobody gets hurt. Um, anyway. <laughs> It's, this starts way back in issue 314, but anyway, everyone feels some sort of inversion, like every cell in their body is being scrambled. And anyway, that's how Spider-Man gets involved in this story, because Thor takes a huge ball of trash, which was rubble from the destruction of the Avengers' last headquarters, which was a temporary headquarters, which they were in because the mansion got destroyed. I don't, you know, I, didn't, I don't know all the hell of things going on, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of equipment that got destroyed, and so it's Thor makes it into a big sphere, and he figures, well, where is the only place I can go where a big ball of metal trash won't be noticed? Ah, New Jersey. So he's <laughs> he's literally flying it to New Jersey. Well, the thing is, though, he, he finds out that because Thor finds out because he didn't support Chris Christie's re-election bid, um, <laughs> you know, Thor can't make it through New Jersey. But anyway, so the inversion happens and the ball gets away from Thor and is about to hit a bunch of people and Spider-Man snags it with a web line and swings it around and, you know, Thor's able to, you know, catch it and save everybody and stuff. And, and therefore, and then Thor says, you know, after they feel this inversion, he says, followeth me, Spider-Man, to wherever the Avengers hangeth out now. Uh, which is some big cube. And then Cersei, scan Cersei scans the psychic ether. I have no idea what that means, but she scanned the psychic ether. All right. <laughs> it's the same thing as like when uh, Captain Marvel's using his, uh, the original Captain Marvel's using like his cosmic awareness. It's the same thing when the Adam Warlock's using his cosmic awareness. Okay. All right. Cosmic awareness. <laughs> yeah. There's like, uh huh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. I'll, I'll exactly. it if you got it. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out that Nebula, the daughter, of, no, no, the granddaughter of Thanos. Okay. Now this Nebula is a blue-skinned chick with long dark hair, and she's the granddaughter of Thanos. Now, as I recall, the Nebula I saw recently in Guardians of the Galaxy was bald, and like, is she the daughter or granddaughter of Thanos? In that, she's just the daughter, isn't she? She's the daughter, I think. Okay, she's not the granddaughter because we couldn't relate to Thanos being a grandfather. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, uh, this, this nebula does go bald also. She does? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think she does. In fact, yeah. just on a side, interesting side point, uh, I think in Guardians 2 they're going to let Karen Gillan grow her hair back out. Because uh, she she was willing to do it and she did it and but now you know for the sequel she was like I would really like it if they would just let me have hair and I think they're they were like you know what you were you were you were a big enough trooper in the first movie we're, we're just gonna let you have hair now. <laughs> oh okay I was about to say I was gonna say why do they make her bald in the first place but then you said the character was had turned bald the, the, by that yeah uh, later on uh, in the nineties because it's the nineties. She at one point had a – she was bald, and she had like a cybernetic attachment on her head, just like she did in the movie. Oh. Uh, and she got kind of screwed up. But uh, I, I think they're going to go back on that for the second movie now. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> – I was about to say because it was kind of like – because I didn't realize that Nebula had been bald in the comics because they were going to compare it to like Persis Cambada in the first Star Trek movie. Why do you take a otherwise reasonably attractive woman and shave her hair? You know, <laughs> I, I don't understand why they went for that look with the character, although I think they were trying to establish that she was cybernetic and, and could take a lot of punishment to explain why she was why she could die, quote unquote, die in the first movie and then come back in the second. I see. So to do that, to make it more obvious, they went with their cybernetic look from mm -hmm. uh, later on. But yeah, that was in the comics. She did look like that at one point. Okay, yeah. so anyway, Nebula, who's on a power trip, obviously, because she's a supervillain. Anyway, she's working with some old dude on something called a compressor, which 
it uh, it's not something for refrigerators, as you find out. It uh, compresses the equivalent of a one megaton nuclear explosion into something as small as an atom. Okay. Anyway, during a test of this, the universe blinks out. And so, you know, she checks with her lackey, Gunthar, you know, who can, you know, who finds out, well, anyway, she said, oh, no, something weird happened. Gunthar, what happened? Gunthar says, universe winked out. Uh, and Nebula <laughs> says, oh, man, this is really cool shit now. You know, I got something that can make <laughs> the universe wink out. Anyway, so the new Avengers headquarters, after the temporary one was destroyed, uh, happens to be a big cube. All right. And Thor and Spider-Man just happened to go to the big cube when the universe winks out of existence again. Okay, well, see, the thing is, the, the problem is, the compressor, okay, is operating, and the, when the compressor reaches 100% efficiency, it's going to duplicate the Big Bang, and it's going to create a new universe to take the place of the old universe, but Spider-Man finds the compressor, and he pulls the plug on it, and he saves the universe, well, does he at least get a black costume out of it? Not yet, because okay. not yet because we, 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 he doesn't go he doesn't go looking for a black turd, you know, <laughs> you know, or or he doesn't like go into a room full of alien equipment and sees this black turd fall out and says, "Huh, I guess I'll wear that as a costume." Nothing, <laughs> nothing could go wrong here. Uh, right. Anyway, so Nebula gets away and the Avengers go after her. Captain America invites Spider Man to go with him. Because he did such a bang-up job earlier. Anyway, so after another big fight, you know, uh, he impresses Cap so much that Spider-Man is asked to become an Avenger. Which, there you go. Which Spider-Man accepts. Now, just remember, okay, he's, he's impressed Captain America a couple of times already now. And Cap decides basically to give him a battlefield promotion, more or less, about, you know, about, and make him an Avenger. Okay, so just remember that for the way the story ends. All right, but anyway, so now they're out in space and they run into the stranger. Okay, who is a big giant dude? All right. Anyway, by the way, the stranger is not related to the arranger who we talked about earlier, or the ranger because they share the same last six letters in their name. Okay, real quick, because I googled it, I couldn't find an image. The ranger, who is that with Spider-Man? Uh, it was some guy after the reboot who. He was he was a nobody. He had long black hair, and he appeared to be a villain at first. But then he was really an enemy of the evil Senator Ward, who Howard yeah. Mackey said you know had everybody going around talking about how bad Senator Ward was. But mm -hmm. Mackey hadn't figured out how bad Senator Ward was, <laughs> and uh, and so when they finally had no wonder I don't remember yeah, when they find well this is the reboot. I mean, so I like know. after two years of this nonsense. Uh, <laughs> And when Mackie's about to be replaced, which, by the way, George celebrated in Hero Realm. When Hero, in, fact, in fact, that was that was almost Hero Realm's reason for being, wasn't it? It was Howard Mackie. Uh, well, originally it started because uh, when it was gonna, what gave us the idea to do it was when they was when uh, Bob Harris tried to kill off Mary Jane. And and I say it was Bob Harris because it was Harris who told Mackie and Byrne to kill off Mary Jane. Um, and. Um, so that's what gave us the idea to do it. You will never. I, I still remember to to this day the rage I felt over that, because I was I was at work and I I would go and get my comics like on my lunch break, and read them in the parking lot. You know, some of them, and then go back upstairs. And I remember that because it threw off the rest of my effing week at work. I was that pissed because I I knew it was it was coming from a standpoint of. Them just wanting to shed weight for the character, but they were willing to ditch this decades-old beloved character to do it, and I hit the goddamn roof. That was my first big fan volcano moment. <laughs> I've never really gotten better since then. Ever since. What did you do on the website to celebrate him uh, leaving? Uh, I I honestly can't remember. I I probably I used to write a lot more editorials than I do back then, so you can imagine yeah. how that went over. Yeah, it, um, yeah. it was. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, I I was using a little bit of hyperbole there with George. Uh, you know, say he celebrated, but I just remember when I got drawn into to, to Hero Realm. I think one of the, I don't know what it was, but I started kind of bashing the stories too, and because um, they weren't it, good. They yeah, were and. 
but George, and George said something about because when Matt, when when Mackie uh, I I don't know we we were talking about we were talking about having a party and George said something like I'd bring the dip but Mackie is already a dip you know what I mean <laughs> yeah something probably like. something like that yeah yeah <laughs> but but uh, but anyway so that was anyway the ranger but you know so anyway so anyway the stranger shows up and needless to say this is really stranger danger. Um, <laughs> The stranger is nice. The stranger is after Nebula because it turns out that Nebula stole something from him. The Infinity Union. Okay. Hmm. So how many infinity things are there? Infinity <laughs> stones, infinity gems, infinity gauntlet, infinity war. Jeez. Yeah. You know. It it's, goes to infinity. There you go. I blew your mind just now, didn't I? <laughs> I found some info and a picture of Ranger there. I put it in the Skype chat. Okay. Uh, anyway, the infinity, infinity. That's the only thing lacking now. Anyway, this, yeah. the stranger... The infinite Nebula. infinity. The stranger takes Nebula because he wants to find out where she hid the infinity union. But Iron Man learns that Gunthar has rigged the infinity union to be a doomsday device if anyone but Nebula touches it. So Captain America warns everybody, if you find this thing, don't touch it. Spider-Man finds it. He realizes he can't touch it. So what does he do? He decides to shoot a web line at it. Well, that doesn't work so well because that's still touching it. So anyway, as a result. Of someone besides Nebula touching the Infinity Union, it channels all of its energy into her. So she decides to use this ultimate source of power to make herself 100 feet tall. But then Gunthar, who's afraid that Nebula, when she becomes all-powerful, will destroy him as well, decides to tell the Stranger and the Avengers that if they pull some implant out of her brain, she'll lose the powers of the Infinity Union. Okay, so they do that. The universe is saved. Everybody goes home. And then Captain America says, Spider-Man, you just aren't good enough to be an Avenger. We save the universe on a regular basis, and your forte is fighting costume goofballs. So you go back Aww. fighting costume goofballs, and we'll continue saving the universe. And Spider-Man says, cool, and swings away. <laughs> <laughs> that is what, that is what yeah. happens. That is is, yeah. is what happens. I mean, Spider-Man kind of, you know, basically what happens, Spider-Man comes back and kind of, maybe, I guess he does kind of look a little shell-shocked, like saying, wow, I'm an Avenger, and wow, we they saved the universe, wow, you know. And then so Captain America, well, Spider-Man, uh, let's go to the roof, I want to talk to you. And, and Sp Captain America says, Spider-Man, I just don't think you're cut out for this. And it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, yeah. you know. Two or three issues ago, you were, you know, kissing his ass, talking about what a great fighter he was, and you were thinking about how his, the fact that he had such a great sense of humor, and he was, he was making everybody relaxed, and, you know, even Thor was cracking bad jokes and stuff, and mm -hmm. how he was improving the chemistry of the team, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, it's like, Spider-Man, you're just not good to hang out with us, you know, we are just too cool for you, you know, and Spider-Man yeah. says, yeah, well, okay, that's fine, I didn't want to be an Avenger anyway, and... Well, the I mean, several issues later, he becomes a reserve Avenger, and I remember him getting a card out of the deal. Yeah, he yeah, he was put on the same level as Sandman. Sand, yeah. <laughs> Sandman, who had been a career criminal. Yeah. Who only did straight crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been, yeah. He was a criminal, and he was given made a, reven, a reserve Avenger, just like Spider-Man, because Spider-Man wasn't good enough. He yeah. made a full Avenger, just... Got none, none of that made any sense. So were you insulted in the 90s as uh, him becoming a reserve one? Uh, well, I wouldn't say I was insulted. Well, I'm always angry. You know, that's my secret. <laughs> Even 25 years that's, ago. Boy, that's, that's a goddamn understatement. I'm always angry. <laughs> but, no, I just... Well, actually, you know, I didn't actually get this Avengers until... Um, well, actually, when I was, uh, you know, writing my Spider-Man uh, team player... It was like when he was about to enjoy, join the Avengers for real. When, you know, Brian Bendis comes in. You know, everybody had come up with reasons why Spider-Man couldn't be an Avenger. Oh, he can't be an Avenger because, oh, he's just not a team player. He's, oh, he just doesn't fit in. Oh, And then Brian Bendis, because he accumulates so much power in the Marvel Universe, says, I want Spider-Man to be an Avenger and I want Wolverine to be one too. 
Oh, okay, go right ahead. You know. <laughs> anyway. Here, for, for See, you to play with the toys, yeah. You know, in a way, Spider-Man at that time didn't need the Avengers, and the Avengers didn't need him. You know, it was... But it, it, the reasons they came up with him not being were just kind of stupid. You know, and, the, and this particular story was... I mean, it was just... It was a stupid ending. You know, because... The, you know, Cap had spent all this time, you know, saying, you know, you've distinguished yourself, you know, I'm going to give you a battlefield, uh, you know, make you an Avenger. And then it's like, you know, oh, by the way, I, I changed my mind. Uh, yeah, ri- just kidding. Written, yeah, exactly. Written by John Byrne. Uh, so anyway. He left the Avengers book really quick. He didn't even finish the storyline. So he w- he started the, what, four-parter and... It was gone by the fifth or whatever. Oh, he was uh, really. I didn't know. Yeah, because I was looking at the credits. If he started. He wrote issue three fourteen, and this one is written by Fabian. Oh, and then the next issue. Well, no, that's not in order. But uh, I, I remember Burn. Uh, maybe he just wrote this storyline. Maybe he's back on Avengers. Is that when he started Coast. doing Namor? Yeah, that's right. He was doing Namor at this time. Yeah, which I liked. I liked no, him. I liked his Namor. I did too. Uh, also, uh, that came out this month. I don't. I have it in front of me, and I don't think you have it either. But uh, Marvel Comics presents number fifty was uh, penciled and written by Eric Larson. It was a team up of Spider-Man and Wolverine going after the Femme Fatales. Do you guys remember that one? Not in the slightest. Well, I, I bought it, and it actually has an appearance by a Savage Dragon guy and uh, holding a little mutant girl. Uh, hostage, etc., and that was a one of Larson's first written works, and also had a Savage Dragon in it, because I remember that specifically. But uh, anyway, I, besides that, the, the we've talked about the Femme Fatales before, haven't we, JR? Oh yeah, I mean they were in a, yeah. they were in us. We had a Spider history where they were in the web of Spider Man or something, and it, they, you know that was another '90s thing. I mean another '90s yeah. thing. I mean a bunch of. You know, they were a bunch of, you know, got, what, women basically on steroids or whatever and had mm-hmm. big honking technology or something. I mean, it was... It, it was <laughs> big it, it was more technology. that technology. <laughs> That's funny. So, JR, not a good month of uh, June 1990, 25 years ago, which is hard to believe. Not, uh, not a good month at all, but then again, the 90s were not a good decade at all, were they? Really. 